My name is Cam Screamer, and this is Eric Ghostface Ambler, and welcome to the podcast where we look at the pop culture of our youth through the lens of adulthood. It's not about good or bad, it's about then and now, as we try our best to answer the question, what were we watching? (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 176, Scream 2. Darren's 10th episode. That's what? right. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Ten Timers Club. <laughs> it's a yeah. big one. I didn't get to introduce myself with a scary name. I'm Darren Dewey Cox. <laughs> I, couldn't even, <laughs> I couldn't even get through it. What's Dewey's last name in this? I don't even know. Riley. Riley, yeah. <laughs> Darren Dewey Sprawls. Deputy Darren Dewey Sprawls. <laughs> Welcome back. It's so good to see you here. We didn't expect you to be here in the sequel, but here you are, just the same. <laughs> Excited to have you back, even though we all know that sequels suck. We'll see about that. We're going to try and buck the trend here, uh, because we had you on for the first Scream movie, which was, gosh, at least a couple years ago by now. 2017, I believe. Oh, man. Time flies, but... We finally got to Scream 2, so at this rate, we'll, we'll have you back for Scream 3 sometime in the 2023. We need to start planning for uh, Scream 5, because that'll probably oh, be yeah. out by the time we... <laughs> <laughs> Next year, I think. Unless it got pushed. Yeah, that's what uh, I'm hoping for, at least. We'll see. I try not to hold firm to any future plans right, right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair, I think they'll delay it to accommodate our schedule. They'll want it to come out when we're ready to <laughs> podcast about another Scream movie. If I know Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, we're here to discuss Scream 2, which was released on December 12th, 1997. Merry Christmas, everybody. Directed by Wes Craven. Written by Kevin Williamson, and it stars Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, my BFF Jerry O'Connell, Jamie Kennedy, Timothy Oliphant, Elise Neal, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Jada Pinkett, Omar Epps, Liv Schreiber, and Academy Award nominee Laurie Metcalf. What a cast. Incredible cast. That's a lot of names, but all important, all (laughs) integral to this movie that works like clockwork. Let's just tell people right now, spoilers ahead. For Scream 2, Cam, can you please recap the movie? So the events of the first Scream have been turned into a movie called Stab, and we open with a screening of the new film where an unlucky college-age couple is murdered by Ghostface the boyfriend in the bathroom, and the girlfriend in the audience right in front of everyone, among a sea of rowdy, ghost-face, mask-wearing fans. Attention turns to Sydney, now attending the same college as the two victims, along with fellow Woodsboro survivor Randy. We meet her new best friend Hallie, her new boyfriend Derek, and Randy's fellow film student Mickey, 
police and the press arrive on campus, including Woodsboro survivors Officer Dewey and reporter Gail Weathers, who greets Sydney with a surprise interview with Cotton Weary, the wrongly convicted suspect in Sydney's mother's death, who is now looking to redeem his public image after his exoneration. A sorority girl at the college is murdered by Ghostface, who then attacks Sydney at a party, but is warded off by her boyfriend Derek, who suspiciously doesn't suffer any serious injuries. The heroes realize that the killer is targeting people with similar names as the victims of the previous Woodsboro murders, and may in fact be someone from Woodsboro. Movie nerd Randy helps Dewey consider the killer's M.O. using the rules of horror movie sequels, wondering how the killer is one-upping the original murders. Later, Randy receives a phone call from Ghostface on campus. As Gail and Dewey split up to figure out where the phone call is coming from, Ghostface pulls Randy into Gail's news van and murders him. Gail and Dewey realize Randy's murder might have been caught on tape and find an empty college classroom to review the footage where they are attacked by Ghostface and chased through a nearby sound studio. Gail watches helplessly through a soundproof window as Ghostface stabs Dewey. Meanwhile, Sydney and her friend Hallie are being escorted by her police details in the back of their car when they're ambushed and killed by Ghostface, the drivers, the cops, and Ghostface is knocked out when he crashes the car. Sydney and Hallie are stuck in the back of the car. Their only escape route is crawling over Ghostface's unconscious body, which they manage to do. Sydney insists on going back to see who who the killer is, but he's no longer in the car when she goes back, uh, only to reappear to murder Hallie. Sydney then flees to the auditorium where she's been rehearsing a play with the theater department. She finds Derek there, tied to a cross. Ghostface enters and unmasks himself to be Mickey, the film student, before killing Derek. He describes his plan to intentionally get caught and plead insanity, blaming the murders on the influence of violence in the movies. He then introduces his accomplice, Mrs. Loomis, Billy's mother, who has been posing as a local news reporter this whole time, who just wants good old-fashioned revenge on Sydney for killing her son. She betrays Mickey and kills him, and nearly kills Sydney until Cotton Weary shows up with a gun. Mrs. Loomis tries to convince him to let her kill Sydney, since she's the one that falsely accused him and locked him away for a year, but Sydney promises to agree to an interview with Cotton on Diane Sawyer, which is what he's wanted this whole movie, <laughs> and he shoots Mrs. Loomis dead. Gail reunites with Dewey as he's discovered alive, while Sydney directs the media's attention to the real hero, Cotton Weary, giving him the, the redemptive fame he's been looking for as she wanders off campus. Roll credits. Cue the collective soul. Gee, <laughs> <Please>, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What a film. What a bunch of characters. What suspense. Some chills and screams, naturally. So let's start diving in. Just tell me the first time that you uh, encountered this film. How far back do you go, Darren? Yeah, so I should start by saying that, I probably already said this before, but horror movies were not a thing in my house growing up. And I also grew up quite the scaredy cat. And so any uh, horror films that uh, I did see growing up were either by accident or, you know, at a friend's house or something. And uh, in the case of Scream 2, I just saw, like, pieces of it on TV for years. And uh, the scene that stuck with me the most was the um, opening, the opening uh, stab sequence, I remember, from TV. But I didn't watch the whole thing until uh, college. I think in college is when I really started picking up this love of horror movies and, yeah, got into Wes Craven in general and then into the Scream series in particular in college. How about you, Cam? So I talked a little bit about this in the last episode, the last Scream episode, but we saw the first one as a family. And I feel like at that time it was kind of on VHS. And it was like, at that time it was kind of like, are we sure we want to show the kids <laughs> this R-rated horror movie, grisly, gruesome murders? And then we saw it and it turned out to be, you know, 
very pop fun movie relatively so when by the time scream 2 came out on vhs like the whole family was just like ready for it and it was i looked it up the vhs came out july 21st 1998 summer between fifth and sixth grade for me and it was just like this fun very memorable family screening <laughs> of scream 2 because we were all sitting around the living room pumped to like solve the whodunit of it all because like that that's what we all got into is like who's the killer and, and kind of like pointing out suspects along the way and like it's this guy he's wearing the boots <laughs> and it was just like so much fun and i rented it multiple times rewatched it multiple times on vhs i was ghostface two years in a row because i just loved the series so much this is like the height of my little edgelord skater kid face so <laughs> ghostface was like right there in that wheelhouse that's a uh, man what a fun family night <laughs> for real it's bizarre world for me yeah absolutely and like you both do, like like darren mentioned earlier and, and like you just said it's not really horror is not not at all a genre in my family either but it was just like the one exception is scream oh that's cool and it's really special in that, well, in that way yeah yeah it's it's interesting how it kind of crosses boundaries or like you know it gets more people it 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 gets more people interested who might not necessarily be interested in horror movies because they call it a thriller i've noticed that in all the marketing materials like that's what you call a horror movie if you want it to make money (laughs) if you want it to cross over no it's a thriller Mm. but my my upbringing very similar to darren's we don't watch horror movies and i'm scared of them anyway so (laughs) i had to rely on my friends to kind of bring that world to me and they did kind of in the Middle school years, I was close with a few guys who were just got really into horror movies, the Scream franchise in particular. So I'm sure I, I saw it probably around the same time I saw the first one over at a friend's house in the late 90s or early 2000s. And uh, a lot of things stick with me, like that opening scene, which is terrifying. And also, to me, one of the mo- I think the most suspenseful scene in the entire series, which is trying to escape the cop car. Well, mm-hmm. uh, Ghostface is passed out in the front seat. Just like, oh, that's so yeah. tense and horrifying. So, yeah, I, I, but I enjoy going back to these movies like every, you know, handful of years or so and reminding myself just how clever and funny they are, too. And they work just as much as comedies as they do as horror films. You're getting a little chocolate and peanut butter together. Absolutely. We love it. I love it so much. There are just some movies that are so alive and dynamic and brimming with energy, like infectious energy. And this is one of those movies for me. It's so well-directed, so just firing on all cylinders, like cast, cinematography, staging, blocking, like soundtrack, writing, <laughs> everything. Yeah, the writing. Writing, the dialogue yes. still crackles, baby. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty incredible to see... You know, some of this is, like, very 90s, you know, and kind of aged in that way. Um, But... Still, still moves beautifully. Yeah, no, I it, not not in a not in a bad way. Yeah, uh, I'll get this out of the way. Then I hate the clothes in the movie. Um, <laughs> the, the costumes have not aged well. Not even in like a fun '90s way. Like the college students just are dressed weirdly for college students in the '90s. I get what they're trying to go with with like frat boys and sorority girls, but man, the frat boy uniform that Jerry O'Connell is wearing, like boaters and and khakis, mm-hmm. it seems. I don't think frat boys even wore that in the 90s and today my god they all just wear workout clothes so like it's it's just a complete 180 yeah there are some jerry o'connell fits in this that are that are super like baggy and yeah and just terrible looking <laughs> and those sorority girls like when they're just kind of casual walking around campus they look like moms you know 
yeah. what, what mom wears for yeah. Easter brunch or something. <laughs> like, not quite, not quite there. I, it, it felt very much like Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson, they're older guys. So like their idea of what those clicks were in college, in their college years, not quite yeah. up to date. <laughs> Yeah. But it strikes me as a little eighties. Yeah. But it, it's also kind of like an escape for Sydney away from like kind of the, the grease balls that she was attracted to in the first movie. It's like, mm-hmm. she's going with like the clean cut, the clean cut frat boy this time that will protect her. Totally. Yeah. I just want to get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Ghost face costume. No, no, is still awesome. <laughs> Iconic. Oh, wait. I think it's better. I think it's better. Cause like in the first one, it looks kind of cheap, but I feel like this time Ghostface is now a brand. Yeah. And so the the mask is like mass produced and it like looks like a commodity, like a product. And I think that really works in the film's favor, like the franchise's favor to like once once Ghostface has become a brand after the first movie. Now we're really rolling like that's that's where like the magic of this series happens, in my opinion. That's what that first scene is all about in a way. And man, I, I love that first scene so much. Um, it's just so pitch perfect about how bloodthirsty the audience is. I, I think it's still an amazing opening. Oh, man. And it starts with a Prince cover. <laughs> D'Angelo, right? Yeah. That's my favorite song from the soundtrack, by the way. Uh, but it's like this movie's made specifically for me. <laughs> I can't get over it. <laughs> just from the first frame, the very first like soundbite is... Prince lyrics. <laughs> it's a good and it's kickoff. It's a great, great D'Angelo cover too. Yeah, yeah. Did you guys recognize the interior of that theater? Oh my god, is that is that the Vista? It, it yeah. sure is. <laughs> I would recognize those tiny bathrooms anywhere. <laughs> so here's a fan theory. Well, actually, I think it falls apart because I rewatched it. But my my fan theory is that the two killers both are at their urinals at the very beginning. The ones that like turn around and look at Omar Epps. Mm-hmm. But it's really like I don't think it it works because in the same shot he like moves over to the to the stalls, knocks on the first one which is busy, and then he goes into the second one and then he hears the thing. It's this is all the same shot. So I d I don't think there was time for one of those two at the urinals to get into the stall. Yeah. I think he's already in there, but but my my like my, my brain was working, I was like, Ooh, that'd be really cool if they were both like in the and they like jumped him together it's still f- not cool because yeah. it's horrifying it's a funny moment too <laughs> it is yeah, it, yeah and it is creepy too you know the yeah. the way that the the two ghost faces with their masks just like turn back to look at omar and yeah yeah and the uh not to mention like the first conversation that omar and jada have is about um race and so uh mm-hmm. it just kind of imbues that whole scene with this uh this sort of um racial tension and uh yeah it's just super creepy whenever those two ghost faces just <laughs> menacingly turn to him and his response is you know just like oh, okay not i guess this is not not where i'm supposed to be right well you guys have all been in that bathroom you know how uncomfortably close you have to stand to others while you're waiting i usually don't turn my head back and stare at the person <laughs> who's waiting though I that's mean, just me oh okay I guess they were just they Parties were just saying like I can't go when you're watching. Right? Stop looking at me. You have to. I'm I can't go unless I'm looking at someone. That's my problem. <laughs> <laughs> so the second time I watched, I had subtitles on, and for the first time ever watching, I saw what the killer is saying behind the stall, and it's all about like mommy and like I promise I'll tell you or something. I'm yeah, apologizing. It's like really disturbed, like apologizing yeah. and something about mommy, and I I'm sure it's Mrs. Loomis in there. Maybe I just feel like maybe she's like replaying stuff about Billy over oh, and over. Yeah. That's my theory. That would make sense. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, they don't really 
it's not clear, I guess, who is the murderer mm-hmm. in that instance. I do think it's probably Mickey when the killer goes back to the yeah, seat. Yeah, he's wearing the jacket. Yeah, because he's got to like physically be close to Omar Epps mm-hmm. enough for her to not be onto him. But I would argue that it's Mickey the whole time, just because in the reveal at the end, Mickey points to Mrs. Loomis as the financial backer and mm. and not you know a partner to be sure. But uh, mm-hmm. it it does seem like Mickey is the one who's doing a lot of the dirty work yeah yeah he's the psycho she does say that she got knife happy with randy after he was bad mouthing billy so we know she at least killed him and i i have a theory that she killed cc because she's like right on the scene after that happens and she leaves quickly when Gail shows up. That also makes me think that um, she's the one to stab dewey because she's like right outside the building you know Mm. on the phone just a good movie i don't know kind of where what direction we're headed right now but uh one of my favorite things about the scream series and this one in particular is just the paranoia yeah and uh just how everyone's a suspect and um you know that's not uh novel but it's just really well done in in this movie i really like how obvious they try to make everyone else seem like Derek, you know, it was the boyfriend last time, so obviously we're the most suspicious of the boyfriend this time. And, like, everything he says could be threatening, but it's also could be completely innocent. (laughs) And I love that duality that they play with. Um, Like, he's like, you know, when all this is over... I'll still be here. <laughs> that, that could be comforting or that could be like really terrifying. Such a great line. Yeah. And he's like physically imposing too. Same with Cotton Weary, who's like, oh man, that's like one of the best performances in this movie is Leif Schreiber, who just like, is just like simmering anger the whole time and like nervous anger. <laughs> I think so Closing incredible in on in this. Campbell. Yeah. And I love how uh, the movie really leans in to um trying to frame him right there's like uh, yeah there's one scene in particular uh they the right after like a ghost face scene where they focus on the black boots and then the next scene mm-hmm. cotton weary's in and then they focus on his black boots and they look the same <laughs> yeah and like you said Liv, Every, uh, everyone's wearing the black boots <laughs> right it was the 90s leave shriver's performance is so unnerving and uh yeah. yeah he's he's got this like desperation in him it's just like it's got to be him right he's it's it's got to yeah. be him <laughs> yeah I, I was honestly couldn't remember on on the rewatch like oh who was the killer I I think I had a vague memory of like a mother being involved so I did kind of suspect mm-hmm. Laurie Metcalf and and that character kind of when she pops up you're like why did why is she here like what is <laughs> what's so mm-hmm. important about her and you kind of thinking about it I love that first scene because she plays it like an obsessed Gail Weathers yes. fan she's like oh my god I love your book like. <laughs> Which is like when you think about it, her book is about real life Woodsboro murders. And then Gail's like, you're so desperate and obvious. It's all laid out in front of us. It's yeah. like, this is the obvious person right here. Yeah. <laughs> She's the butler that did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's something I underrated as a kid is Mrs. Loomis being one of the killers. I was like, what? She's like, they didn't plant that. But, you know, it, she just happens to be Mrs. Loomis at the end that like, I thought it was a cop-out when I was younger, but now I'm like, oh, man, she's, like, there the whole time. She's just, like, deflecting attention from herself the whole time really well, and she plays it so yeah. well. It's She's, like, one of the MVPs of this movie And now. her performance <laughs> is so me. good, too, because she plays it off like, I am in control this whole time. Like, she's just kind of, like, throwing yeah. – she's taunting everybody, basically, this whole movie. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm just saying, like, if it's like maybe the killer is from Woodsboro and, like, all the other journalists yeah. are like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite line deliveries from her is like when Gail's like, 
Cotton Weir is the killer. And she's like, oh, Cotton Weir. <laughs> <laughs> like, knowing, knowing that she's the killer, you're like, oh, man, you're so good at this. <laughs> she's she's just eating it up, yeah. loving it. Yeah. We stand a legend. And it, and as she said, it makes a lot of sense, like, why she's doing it. It's, it's a very yeah. sane motivation. Right. And it's a callback to um, Jason, mm-hmm. the Friday movies where... You know, Mrs. Voorhees was the killer. Randy mentions that at, at one point in the first right? movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's like all the seeds for these movies are just—they've already been planted, and it's just like we get to watch them grow beautifully. <laughs> Since we brought up Randy, let's let's talk about his rules. Randy's rules return. So rule one: higher body count, which is true of this movie. I think seven deaths in the first and ten in this one. And is that is more gore and more violence still the first rule? No, that's that's two. That's rule number two. Okay, I just wasn't sure if I was conflating rules. More gore, more violence. The core audience expects it, and he doesn't get to finish the third rule. Yeah, that's so interesting that he cuts it off because I I was researching quotes online and some of them finish it. Like he actually, it says this is what he says. I think it, I think it was in the trailer. I think there was the trailer that had all three rules laid out. And do you, do you, did you have the third? Yeah, one? never assume the killer is dead. Okay. Yeah, I, I read like something where the cutting off of that line kind of makes it so like there's no guarantee that a sequel can ever be better than the original. Mm. So it's just kind of like up in the air. And what I love about it is that whole sequel suck argument. It's like this movie is its own argument for why it might be better than the first one. <laughs> I love that. I love that meta layer of like, can sequels be better? Like, let's see. Let's let's explore the ways that w- they can one up the first one. I really feel like this movie is an Orosboros of <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like saying sequels suck, but also being like a pretty good example of how sequels can be better, but yeah. also just like playing into the, the right. fact that none of this would be good at all if it weren't for the first one. And yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> so that argument happens in the film class scene. Or that's where it starts the sequel argument. And I like that Mickey is the one that's like the most insistent on proving the point that sequels are better. Yeah. He's like, no, sequels are better. Like, I'm the sequel. I'm better. <laughs> and, he, and he is the one that kind of gets the last laugh in that scene. He drops Godfather Part 2. And that's, that's the one that the whole class is, concedes is like, oh, yeah, okay. You're right. <laughs> it's like it's like at the bell too. It's like uh, yeah, 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 punctuated by okay, time to leave. And then they keep bringing up sequels later. He's like Empire Strikes Back. He's like, well, part of a trilogy. <laughs> I I disagree with that logic. I feel like um, there would never have been a sequel unless the first one made money and the first one stands alone. And they weren't entirely planned out. I feel like they were roughly sketched out. Like Scream 2. This movie came out one year after the first one. Less than. You can't say this. Like, it's the same situation. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, this movie definitely had an outline before the first movie, I'm sure. From from what I read, uh, Kevin Williamson provided, like, uh, an outline for a sequel whenever he um, yeah. uh, submitted the, the original Scream uh, or he he had it ready. I don't know if he submitted it, but I, he had an outline ready. For I think the, he did because his idea was to sell it as like this is not just going to be a movie, but a franchise. This could you know this could be big yeah. for you. And uh, I I have to say that uh, Kevin Williamson may be my favorite part of all this, just because I think that his writing of these movies is so good. And I I love his mm-hmm. his other stuff too. Around this time, I I know what you did last summer. Uh, I think he did the faculty as well, mm-hmm. teaching Mrs. T- Tingle. Yeah. I don't know that I've Creek. seen that one. <laughs> I just watched Tingle for the first time the other night. Uh, it's okay. It's pretty good, but 
It's No Scream. And I need to revisit the other ones, like Faculty I haven't seen in ages. Or I Know What You Did Last Summer. But I just think he's such a clever writer. And uh, at his best, he's a clever writer in like a fun way and not a clever writer in like an uh, annoying way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just got it. I'm, I'm a big fan of his uh, horror writing. Unfortunately, he hasn't done much in the last like couple of decades. Uh, he's done a lot of television, but um, he, d- he did come back for Scream 4, though. So I, I actually marathoned the whole Scream series uh, in preparation for this podcast. I even binge-watched the TV show. Oh, my. <laughs> All three seasons. It's definitely not as good as the movies, as any of the movies. Uh, but I, there, were, there were things I liked about it. I didn't hate it. But it, it wasn't it wasn't my scream. It wasn't like I feel like it needed to lean into this meta like territory and it, it didn't do that enough for me. It does at times, but that's like the heart of Scream yeah. and you need to you need wow. that. Like you can't you can't just have like a generic high school murder. <laughs> they fell into the trap, sequels suck. That's that's what yeah. he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> You're just uh, kind of capitalizing on brand recognition, coming back for more of the same, just to kind of re- return to that discussion. Like That's why The Empire Strikes Back is a little bit of a gray area for me, because I think the argument is like, no, 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 it's it's about like sequels that are you're just, again, coming back to give people more of the same. When something's kind of like a, a, a continuing story in chapters, uh, I, I kind of get what he's saying there. Like, I'm not going to argue for any part of Lord of the Rings, like being a sequel to Fellowship. Do you guys want to have this discussion right now? Do you want to like stick it in the middle of our Scream discussion? <laughs> sequels that are better than the original? I've uh, I've definitely got some things to say about that. But j- just to tie into <laughs> what you guys are saying, um, I, I think that I, I may be going back on what I've said on a previous episode here. Because I also agree with the argument that Empire is not necessarily a sequel because 2 and 3 were so connected, you know, in their conception and also in their execution. So uh, I think I've said before that I think Empire is the best or my favorite, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna double back or uh, yeah um, correct the the record and say that um, the original is is the best, obviously. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> what I I did not expect this during a Scream Two podcast, but this is a <laughs> momentous occasion. I. Well, I, I, I feel stabbed in the back. <laughs> I had to bury it in in a in a non Star Wars <laughs> <laughs> discussion. So I'm giving so you the applause emote right now. <laughs> you had to bury it in a discussion of sequels within a discussion of yeah. screen. <laughs> because yeah, I as as much as I personally like um, Empire better than the original, the original is the the best of those movies. And yeah, because two and three, like I said, are so. Um, connected in in conception and execution it's hard for me now to recognize it as just a sequel when it when it does Mm -hmm. really feel like part two of three Mm -hmm. but man i've got some other sequels that we could talk about (laughs) let's hear them so i i just want to start with the ones that were mentioned in in the movie the ones that i agree Mm -hmm. with t2 better than t1 uh yes agreed yeah unanimous i i also agree with godfather part two yeah i think so uh, why not? I haven't seen it in a while. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, oh, but what was another one that was mentioned? Aliens? Aliens. Not better than Alien. Disagree on that one. I don't know. I, it's been a long time. I haven't seen Alien 1 since college. And I remember being kind of underwhelmed. So I wonder if I like the second one better. Mm. I don't know. I, I, I'm i going to pass on that one. I like being bored. I think Alien is better than Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, wait, wait, why you got it? Why you got no, throw it under the bus? Like <laughs> <laughs> well, Alien, the Alien franchise is just not one that really excites me. 
in general. And even though I've seen all the movies <laughs> and there are ones that I like, but I, I'm not passionate about it. So I would I would probably just say, yeah, the first one, I think, is better than the second. The first Alien has really just, like, crept up higher and higher on my favorites list each and every year. I, I rewatched it recently with uh, The Borat, which is my <laughs> wife. <laughs> and uh, uh, we watched Alien and Aliens, um, like, within within a week. And um, I was I was really underwhelmed by Aliens. And uh, mm. my love of Alien was... Uh, yeah, I, I just, I love that movie more and more, um, as I, as I grow older. It's a haunted house movie in space. It's, it's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I think about it more, I think about all all the iconic scenes in it, all the great characters and aliens has those things too, but not, not as many or as of great, as good quality as a alien. You know? And it's just so much louder than Alien. Alien is so quiet <laughs> yeah. and unnerving, and Aliens is just like a you know there's An action just movie. Like guns, yeah. machine gu- machine guns going off all the time. Yeah, I think it really loses some of its uh, tension um, in the second one because it's all just bang, 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 so bang, bang. It's fair to say we don't have a hard on for Cameron, <laughs> hey. either James or Seymour. Um. Did did we mention that uh, the other uh, is he in a Dawson's Creek kid who's, who's in this? Wait, <laughs> Joshua Jackson, yeah. Joshua oh, Jackson yeah. is in this as well. Cameo. Yeah. That film class is just like a who's who of like nineties teens. <laughs> Sarah sure. Michelle Gellar's in mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. How about The Dark Knight? I feel like that's one that most people agree with. Yeah, but not everyone agrees with Batman Returns. But that is my opinion. I, well, I also had to pause for a second, thinking, does for me, does The Dark Knight kind of fall in that same kind of corollary as a Star Wars movie? that sort of planned trilogy kind of but i feel like nolan i don't know if he's thinking about sequels every time he makes a batman Mm -hmm. movie personally like just it seems like he's like i'm just gonna focus on this movie right now i don't know about the the future and then yeah for for me dark knight holds holds up separate as a as a sequel although uh uh some some friends of mine have been uh rediscovering uh the dark knight rises uh recently and saying that um they think that's the the best of of that trilogy the best yeah interesting i like it i like it more than begins but i don't know if i'd go that far yeah and i i just haven't seen dark knight rises since it came out in theaters but i do i do think the dark knight is better than batman begins how about batman returns man i have not gone back to the to the 90s to the late 80s early Mm -hmm. 90s batman so i mean i remember somewhat uh batman returns but i yeah I, i don't know that i can make a definitive uh statement about it being better than <laughs> the Batman. I think it is better, but I think it's better for like, and I think it's made in the same way that you could say the Dark Knight is a better sequel than Batman Begins because it's like the the proof of concept worked. So we're going to let this person yeah. make their vision of exactly. this. And it's almost like a redux, like as yeah. at the same time that it's a sequel. That's where I think sequels can be better is when like the first one is kind of just like testing the waters. It's like there's usually a lot of compromise with a first one where it's like, their hands are tied. They can. They have to make it within the trappings of this genre or or, or whatever's hot at the time mm-hmm. because they want to play it safe. But then it's a success, and they're like, "Okay, now do your vision." And a lot of times that's better, in my opinion. A lot of times it isn't, mm-hmm. but that's an interesting sort of framing because I feel like the opposite can be the case sometimes too. Like uh, you know, yeah. somebody makes an original idea 
and it does better than anyone ever imagined. And then they give the person money to do the sequel, but then you know there are all these hands um, in the mm. in the pie uh, making sure That's that it doesn't too. ruin yeah. the the goodwill from the first one. Don't kill yeah. the, the goose. More investment. More investment. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it can go either way, I guess. But this is funny then that the Batman's. Uh, can be looked at that way where it's like one we we did one for you first now this one's for me we should probably move on to things that are like less tested maybe than okay well i've got one for you then um the road warrior yeah. came to mind first for me and uh, is a really good example of what i think is like what they're trying to say with this argument like if you do a sequel like at least bring something new to it you so road warrior kind of morphs the genre it doesn't change it completely but it adds these like sci-fi elements to it and it's just kind of a, it's a completely different vision, but it's still the same world very much like in the same, some of the same characters. And then they do it again with Fury Road. Like again, like you're just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, kind of just turning your head a little bit to get a different perspective on it. And Mad Max, the original Mad Max is a good movie, but the Road Warrior is amazing. And Fury Road is balls. It's great. <laughs> agree. Agree. It, it's been, it's been too long since I've seen the original two. So I I trust I trust that you're right. I'm pretty sure I thought that at the time, but it's been too long. But piggybacking off of that, doing something new, maybe too much for some people's taste, but in my mind, it's just amazingly took a left turn. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey <laughs> is such a fucking cool, great, hilarious sequel to the first one, which just like, uh, it just it just it just it goes a totally different direction like the first one's just like a time travel comedy and it's great but the second one gets into like metaphysics and like they go to hell and but it still has the time travel element and it's just like so many things it's so ambitious and i love it for that it's easily the my favorite of the bill and ted movies uh so i had never seen bogus journey all the way through until fairly recently um I rewatched them uh, because I wanted to watch the the new one, which I mm-hmm. I, I still haven't seen yet. But um, oh, it's good. I, I recommend. I, I had avoided Bogus Journey because it just, for whatever reason, in my mind, you know, maybe it because I had Bogus in the title, um, <laughs> uh, just uh, I I just always kind of dismissed it. But having watched it for the first time recently, it's really good. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that's a case of like Bill and Ted is the original. It's just like this scrappy weird sort of movie yeah and then bogus journey kind of gets a little more streamlined and it seems like they have a bigger budget and um the direction seems like better in the in the second one yeah i i Mm -hmm. I agree with that and it's weirder like station is such a weird thing that's in that movie (laughs) like the alien scientist that helps them and i think for me (laughs) i i i don't agree on this one because i think for me it's just a little too weird like like you said it's a left turn but i think i don't know it should still be kind of recognizable as a sequel. And I don't think it hangs together very well, either as a sequel or even as a movie of its own. I, I rewatched it recently because with Face to Music mm-hmm. coming out, I was hearing a lot again about Bogus Journey. I'm like, I'll give it another chance. But man, it doesn't speak to me the same way mm-hmm. as the tone <laughs> and the jokes and just the whole vibe of El- Excellent Adventure does. I, you know, that one mm-hmm. feels like more cohesive to me. And Bogus Journey feels more like the other ideas that they had and couldn't fit into the first one that's fair um i mean it is a bummer too they die and go to hell you know (laughs) it's like it's like 45 minutes of the movie is them dead yeah yeah it's 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 weird it's like it's like one weird thing after another and i'm like i want a little more tightness to this or you know a little more unity but 
I I will also never get tired of just making jokes about dumb California surfer bros. <laughs> that that remains very charming. Alex Winters and Keanu Reeves. I can't get enough of like evil robot versions. Yeah, they're, of them. those are funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how about this one? How about this one in terms of like getting a little too weird for some people in the second one? But for me, it's like mm, Gremlins Two: The New Batch. I've never seen Gremlins Two, sadly. <gasps> Oh my God! You got to see G two. This is G two people. <laughs> so I, I I have to say that I also that's a movie that I feel like I've seen you know clips of on TV and stuff over the years, but definitely have not seen it um, beginning to end. I feel like there is very big scream two energy in, in Gremlins <laughs> two, and you both need to watch it immediately. <laughs> well, you may get your wish pretty soon. Actually, I've been planning on it. Um, Good. Toy Story. Let's throw that out. Mm. So any of them. Well, yeah. can, can can we kind of frame this a little bit? Um, because uh, I I think I know what you're getting at. I, I approach this list as like the second one yes. as opposed to maybe like the third one being the best one. Like I feel like the point of this Scream sequel is like the immediate follow. You know when movies yeah. like come out and then they do the second one? Right. Like that's what okay. this movie's kind of about. You. Yeah. I stopped myself from like going too far down the sequel list and tried to yeah. just focus on um the, the second. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. But I feel like on any given day a Toy Story could be my favorite. But right now it's the third one. <laughs> Toy Toy Story two is not as good as as the first Toy Story. Right. I like it. It's funny. It's it might be the funniest Toy Story. And for that I love it yeah i wouldn't i, I wouldn't know. say two is better than one that's that's probably the only one where i immediately shut it down yeah yeah i like the first one better than two okay well i'm, I'm gonna take this in a different direction dawn of the dead hmm. the Zack snyder film that's what you mean <laughs> no <laughs> dick no dick <laughs> um so uh yeah in... so night of, night of the living dead and then dawn of the dead right yep yep that's my that's my argument there because i uh, think i think that's right it's been a long time for those two, but I think that's correct in my opinion. I just love, and th- this is the example that I was referring to earlier in the, in the way that these um, sequels can kind of happen sometimes. The first one is like very original, very scrappy, very low budget. And then this is an example of when uh, it was the 70s too. George Romero got a lot more money and uh, a lot more like resources to work with. And I think he made something far better than, than um, uh, the first one. Fair point. Yeah can't argue because i haven't seen him oh no i love uh yeah that that'd be a yeah i i'm i'm a big fan of romero in general but that dawn of the dead uh movie from i think it's 78 oh it's i i think it's so good i'm glad you brought that up because i I was gonna say that i think in terms of horror sequels randy has a point like sequels are probably not the best Mm -hmm. in in the horror genre i think that's a good example darren um the one that i have in mind is evil dead 2 i think is far better than evil dead one but that's like the only horror sequel that i could think of that was better aside from scream 2 but, but evil um, evil dead 2 kind of does the thing where it kind of remakes the first one yeah but with like yeah. a bigger budget and more resources right so again that's right. ki- it's kind of like the dawn of the dead thing it's not exactly the same because evil dead 2 like uses the same setting and characters yeah. uh mostly but, but it does like bafflingly go through the like the same events pretty much but in in a much more extravagant and uh yeah. like over the top way and yeah entertaining because, way <laughs> yeah because I, I i do agree i would put evil dead 2 over evil dead 1 all right bride of frankenstein i think so it's been a while (laughs) that's gonna be the answer for a lot of these eric says no No. um i would say yes i i really like bride of frankenstein uh spider-man 2 the toby Maguire one yes uh yeah i would say yes as well yes is the correct answer (laughs) (laughs) kill bill volume 2 oh no that can't that that doesn't count 
it's one movie. Ah, uh, yeah. So it's so interesting. Okay, <laughs> but I would, if I had to split them, I would agree. Yeah, um, I, I I get the argument that it's like a series, like the whole thing is yeah. complete, and it's hard to hard to separate them. But I've always liked the second one um, better than the first. That's so. right. I, I think if I look at it that way, I still prefer the first one. Um, Superman two. <laughs> Disagree. <laughs> uh, my heart wants to get there, but it just can't. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would. Yeah. I think I would put Superman I, 2 I over, over the original Superman. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the last one, and this is just uh, a dear to my heart, Crank 2. Oh, yes. High voltage. <laughs> I haven't seen any cranks. <laughs> uh, agreed. And here's a bonus Statham one. Transporter 2 for me. <laughs> Damn it. I haven't seen the Transporter oh, movies. I need, to, I need to fix that. I love Statham so much. But those Crank movies are like, I love them so much. Um, and I especially love Crank 2 because it does the thing of like just trying to top itself. And I, I think it succeeds for the most part, which is insane considering how crazy <laughs> the first Crank is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of a similar, uh, with a different style, of course, but a similar thing is true of Transporter 2. It's just much more bananas than the first one. <laughs> a little bit of a stretch, but uh, from from Russia with Love, I think is a better movie than Doctor No. I'd agree with that. You're probably right, but I have a soft spot for Doctor No for some reason. Uh, you uh, know what? Honestly, having rewatched them this year, uh, they were closer than I expected. Doctor No has all the racism. <laughs> yeah, well, so does From Russia with Love. There's some racism there too, uh, as as is the case See, with the shocking that. number so, of James Bond. Oh, the worst one where he gets the yellow face makeover. You only live twice. Surgically. Yes. Of, yes. <laughs> a, that's definitely a nadir in, Oof. in in terms of race in Bond films. It doesn't get any worse than that. All right. How do you how do you guys feel about Wrath of Khan? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. I would I would put that over the first one. I need to see Khan again because it that was years ago and that was like the first Star Trek movie I ever saw mm-hmm. and I haven't seen it since. And I also have discovered I'm a big fan of Star Trek the motion picture, so I abstain. <laughs> it wouldn't be fair. Ooh. All right. Uh X Men two? Yes. Yes. For sure. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've since I've revisited those. I've uh, you know, especially uh, with all the everything that we know about Brian Singer now, I um, mm, have been yeah. uh, reticent to go back and, and watch those. But from from what I remember, I, I did like X two uh, better than the first one. How about Captain America: The Winter Soldier? See, and now now you're getting into like Marvel universe where like all all of that shit is so like intertwined. Mm. I it's hard for me to even. So maybe shouldn't even count. Maybe yeah. I see what you're saying though. I get it. It's hard to say, and just I yeah. prefer the first Captain America anyway. Respect. All right, Ace Ventura: When Nature Calls. <laughs> oh yes, uh, yeah. I, I can't. I can't deny. <laughs> Darren, Darren, what do you think? Uh, I gotta, I gotta be an originalist here. <laughs> Ooh. Okay, okay. Um, this might be controversial, maybe not. Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a big thumbs down from me. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I definitely like the original Blade Runner more. You got a hard on for Ridley Scott, don't you? <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, oh, two more. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Hmm in the new the new trilogy i think i saw that one the first one had franco right the yes. second one didn't yeah. franco second one had gary oldman <laughs> look at him trying to sway the vote first one is james franco <laughs> second one has gary oldman 
The second one was like kind of post-apocalyptic. It's like all the power has been shut out. Do you want James Franco and Frida Pinto, or do you want Gary Oldman and Carrie Russell? Do you want a Bonobo with two machine guns in his hands? You know, I actually do want Franco. I I do enjoy Rise. (laughs) Yeah, I I think Don's my favorite apes movie in general. Like the whole franchise. I I love it. It's wow. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I um as as not a huge fan of either. I I do think I remember liking Dawn a little bit more than the Franco one. <laughs> okay, I have one last movie, and it's Adam's Family Values. <laughs> I well, having <laughs> just watched the first one for the first time, like just a week ago, I actually gotta say I enjoy nice. the original more, even though they're both awesome, <gasps> hilarious movies that I'm glad I've finally watched. What? And uh, <laughs> I I have not seen Values. Um, I, oh. I, I, again, feels like something that I've caught clips of on TV, uh, but um, can't say for for certain if I if I think it's better than the original. All right, your homework is first Gremlins <laughs> two, both of you, and then Adam's Family Values for Darren. And I'll watch those Romero movies. Honestly, I like uh, Day of the Dead too, which is a uh, hot take. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that. That's the one with the hands reaching through the wall. Or am I just. Uh, Am I describing a lot of horror movies right now? Right. Yeah. I was like flashing between (laughs) repulsion and. uh, Yeah. But but, uh, Day of the Dead is is a movie where um, his budget just kept getting cut as he was like making it. And so, uh, yeah, it really kind of suffers because Dawn of the Dead feels so huge um, and Day of the Dead just kind of gets smaller as it goes. Um, But I think there's still like a really great story and a lot of good ideas in it. But we'll talk about that whenever we come back for Scream 3. (laughs) The search for more money. (laughs) Should we get back to Scream 2? We should. <laughs> yes, yes. That was a great diversion, though. Long diversion. That was exactly what was I wanted, necessary. though. You tricked us. I wanted a meaty discussion about You sequels. Mrs. loomis us into doing exactly what you wanted us to do. <laughs> so getting back into Scream 2, uh, I wanted to talk about our good friend Deputy Dewey. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that theme, number one. <laughs> Holy shit. That might be my first, or that might be my favorite thing of this rewatch. Just like... Yeah, just so rediscovering sweet. that theme <laughs> it's very um, it's twin so sweet and pleasant very twin yeah. peaksy to me that's, that's exactly what i was gonna say darren uh, especially <laughs> since i've got it on the brain since i've been watching i've been watching that series over the last several months i have also been wa- i've been catching up on the return lately so we're, we're all in ah. twin peaks mode i'm still in the original like early 90s version I'm always in Twin Peaks mode. <laughs> you reside there. You have your summer home in Twin Peaks. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that that theme is just so awesome. Very Twin Peaksy, and I love yeah. that it's it's actually based on excerpts from the score of Broken Arrow, the John Travolta <laughs> action movie. Just nice. so weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, as I said, I, I've been re- I rewatched the whole franchise. Mm-hmm. In preparation, and I found myself so invested in the main trio this time around. Like I just love Sydney, Dewey, and Gale like so much, and that and Dewey especially is like the heart of this series. Yeah, and it's just so endearing. And the, That's all. the relationship that he builds with Gale is just so interesting and off kilter. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. again one of my favorite things in this movie. It's there's and there's real chemistry there, obviously, because they yeah. are a real life couple. And I just found it interesting that Gale is the more aggressive one. Again, if you like, you know, we're inverting yeah. tropes. Yeah. So 
Gail is kind of the one who is mean to him at first. She negs him and then is just yeah. like, but you know, you're going to end up with me. And he was right. just like, no, I am principled. <laughs> the, the moment I most believe in their love is when he's, he's, yeah, he's like talking about his principles. He's, he's like getting on a case about the way that she wrote him in her book, mm-hmm. how, how he's kind of like this, you know, uh, doormat of a guy, just like Barney Fifish. Oozing like, with incompetence. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and amateurishness. Yeah, but the way she looks at him, it's like you're so cute when you're complaining about yeah, that. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's so it's so endearing. It's like the most convincing love story, like one of the right. most convincing love stories I've ever seen on film. It's great, uh, uh, and it's real. Yeah, it's I, I love the fact that all she says is like, I, "All I can say is I'm sorry," like, and I mean it. Like, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah, I I must say I, I also agree that their relationship is very endearing, especially in this movie. Because, um, yeah, there's obviously, like, a different uh, difference in power dynamics, but one that on the surface is not actually, um, you know, how it is between them. Uh, and and their kind of dynamic shifts over the course of the movie. Um, it's just well-written, but even more so, like, well-performed um, because of the chemistry yeah. that you guys that you guys mentioned. Yeah, I, I was very smitten with um, both of them in this. <laughs> yeah. Those red streaks in her hair working for me. <laughs> yeah, it's a little much for me. It's a it's a little that that's again, you know, Eric talking about the the like terrible nineties costumes. The, 90s-ness. the the streaks seem to only well, exist yeah. for that one dewy burn. Um <laughs> and uh I'm I'm not sure that they uh serve much purpose outside of that. The other side of the coin. Hair, clothes and hair. <laughs> I think I'm I think this movie is like feels like home to me. <laughs> I don't know. It's just very. It's a very comforting like look and feel. Yeah, I like it because it's a bold choice. It's actually like it's a, a choice that like really specifically dates the movie, as opposed to the clothes that yeah. I hate, which yeah. are just more generic than anything. Yeah, it's it's not it's not like a it's not a realm that I'm particularly interested in, like the frat boy, you know, yeah. college like Greek culture thing. But but I also feel like this movie's making fun of all that. It's like. We don't really get to know the characters that are really living in that world. Like Sydney's just kind of trying it on, and it's not, it doesn't work for her ultimately, and she walks away from it at the end. And I I don't know. I kind of like it for that mm-hmm. reason. I will say on the subject of Gail, it was fun for me when first watching these movies to discover a different kind of Courtney Cox because I had only known Friends really and Ace Ventura. Mm-hmm. Uh, to see, to see Monica being really mean and, and unethical, you know, it, it yeah. was, it was quite a, quite a shock to the system, but one that I liked. She looks really good in this movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just want to make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of beautiful people in this film. Right. Jamie Scream Kennedy. Does... Oh, dreamy. <laughs> Scream does that right. Yeah. I was just going to talk about Jamie Kennedy's kind of like. I guess like '90s version of a glow up. You know, he's like the the nerd in the first one who doesn't get the girl, but I feel like he gets to be cool in college because his his film geekness kind of gives him cred. Finds his people. At film school, yeah, yeah. a, a dream is, for I mean, all of us. I know, like, <laughs> and and this. So we should say this movie was shot in like at UCLA, uh, which looks very much like the university we all went to. You know, rival schools and the same general area so i don't know about you darren but those film class uh scenes 
felt very at home to me. <laughs> like that just seems like straight out of my life. Yeah, I uh, I wish my film classes were as lucid as the dialogue. Yes, in, in, in this. I was, was going to say <laughs> <laughs> there was there was a lot of a lot of vague uh, you know attempts at uh, uh, intellectual. Yeah, 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 but. Where are we going with this? We were talking about Sarah Gale. Michelle Gellar is Gale. a film student. That's what we were talking about. It's like <laughs> there's just, there is the promise of I, I in my in my head canon, Randy and Cece would get together. Oh, if, if they had both survived, <laughs> the geek gets the girl. She's she asked what she asked. What would you do different? On another level, I kind of, like I think that Randy's almost too full of himself in this movie. Like he's a little too cocky. Like he he's you know trying on like. Film impressions, like oh yeah, that um, that Cockney doing, doing thing the that happened voice. was, yeah. was uh, no me gusta. <laughs> <laughs> like he he's a little extra. What's the deal with his accent in that first scene where he's like doing the walk and talk and? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure who he's referencing, but I'm sure it's intentional. <laughs> I think he just ruined all the other takes they had of that scene <laughs> on purpose so he could do his Cockney accent. He's, but that's why he has to go in this movie is because he's he's overstaying his welcome. <laughs> And I and I like that the the Cottonmouth King's song is playing when he dies because it's like appropriately kind oh, of really? <laughs> extra like white boy rap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I already mentioned No Me Gusta, so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Randy is is one of my favorite characters, and I do really like you know he he's the one who uh, supplies all the like meta narrative. Yeah. No, I love that. I, yeah. I hate that he dies, and I hate yeah. that he's like can't be around for future films i mean he is in the third one but it's not ideal <laughs> he is integral to what scream is it's very scream yes yes we gotta know what the tropes are yeah <laughs> yeah I, I i'm trying to stop myself from talking too much about three and four but i like how it becomes more about fame as the series goes on you know we're just starting to see bubbles of that here uh but i feel like this is uh, scream 2 is really more about who should be blamed for violence? You know, mm. that that's Mickey's whole thing is that, like, he wants to create this circus uh, so that um, the trial, he, he keeps talking about, like, the trial is going to be the, the real show. This yeah. is just the precursor. They're constantly talking about who's really to blame here. And um, uh, Mrs. Loomis, too. Is Mrs. Loomis blaming uh, Sydney or is she blaming Sydney's mother for, you know, wrecking her life? So, yeah, th- one of the things that I like about this movie, because three and four, it becomes more and more just about fame. You know, it's, it's, it's all about <laughs> just ha- how can I get the most clicks? How can I, how can I become the, the most famous part of this? But one of the things yeah. that I really like about two is it's really trying to uh, understand why this violence happens, who should be blamed for it, who's accountable, should we blame the movies? Obviously, the this movie itself is saying that um, that's kind of foolhardy to blame the movies. But it's one of the things that I really like about this Scream 2 in particular is um, it seems really interested in figuring out who's at fault, who's really at fault for uh, our violent nature as a culture it's interesting because because I, I the reading i got this time around was i was kind of mo- mostly seeing it through sydney's eyes following her journey and i feel like it's it's very telling that her her final like test is whether or not to embrace the life of fame as presented by cotton when he's like are you gonna do the interview or not and like her agreeing to the interview to be famous is what like gets the killer killed gets her out of the immediate danger yeah 
I'm also thinking of like the the scene with Derek when he professes his love in the cafeteria when he gets up on the table and starts singing to her directing all this attention to her which is like the worst thing for a person like Sydney who like just doesn't want to be the center of attention to me that's her debate over this whole movie is like whether or not to like isolate herself or to kind of like open up and trust people and <laughs> ultimately end? she like she's like yeah I'll do the interview I'll be famous uh, like she kind of commits to it by the the very end of it How, and, however that last shot is of right. her walking away alone by by yeah. herself and you realize all her friends are dead like yeah <laughs> and, and yeah and and by the beginning of scream 3 we see that she has completely isolated herself mm-hmm. so she does just walk away from it and i think that's 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 kind of cool that she like she learns a lesson, but she also kind of like reverts to the to the thing that she'll always have a problem with. And to me, it's like the Dark Knight. I always think of the Dark Knight with with this, where it's like the Joker saying, "You and I are destined to do this forever." Like if, if all you have is Scream Two, and you just see that like Sydney walks away, becomes isolated again, like she will always be battling her own isolation. Yeah, that's such a good end point. I don't know. It's great. Yeah. It's like she's still she's still flawed by the end. I, I agree, you know, with what was said earlier, too, about, like, the three core characters being, you know, so appealing and engaging. And I think this time I had way more empathy for Sydney than I ever have before approaching mm-hmm. these movies. Uh, and I think the movie does, too. It, it goes it goes to lengths to spell that out to us. Kind of the most remarkable part of the movie to me is right in the middle of this uh, horror comedy is a, Greek, a, a scene from a Greek tragedy where... Sydney is playing Cassandra like wow what an amazing way to kind of get at her emotional state and kind of the emotional state of every single final girl that we've ever seen in a slasher movie like mm-hmm. that's when you know that this movie is operating on a, a completely different level I just think it's so good and and it's lampshading how all these popular horror tropes are also rooted in classic drama and despite the lowbrow reputation like that's what this all started as like you know Greek tragedy played to the masses shakespeare played to the masses and yeah the horror genre has seen a similar reclamation with scream the scream franchise being a huge yeah. reason for that and sh- shout out to the david warner cameo as her oh hell yeah teacher. <laughs> but but the thing he says is the battle for the soul is fought in the medium of art and i think that's a great line and i think it's cool that sydney is like a theater major she's of course drawn to theatrics yeah, I think it just yeah. speaks to the whole like the idea that she's always going to be on the stage. And I, I was I was I was like looking at all the kills, most of the kills, almost every single kill, a couple of exceptions, have to do with screens and audiences. So we have like the Jada one in the movie theater. We have CC watching a movie at home. Nosferatu, um, the like nineteen twenty two Nosferatu. You like know, sorority as, girls, yeah. as sorority girls are wont to do. <laughs> Randy gets killed in a news van, which has like screen implications. It, it doesn't it show then, him like isn't in the background. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. And then um, when Dewey and Gail go to watch the tapes in an empty classroom, um, they watch it on a little VCR, but they're in front of a classroom of like like an auditorium seating, so it's like a movie theater again. Yeah. Uh, and they're watching their own romance play out and they're like, they kind of like rekindle their romance <laughs> in that moment and they almost have sex until Ghostface shows up chases them through the well sound even, sound booth even before more ghost, screens even before ghost face shows up uh, a mm-hmm. screen just turns on and starts yeah. um you know showing them uh amateur Themselves. amateur footage of um yeah what what's what's been happening so far 
That right, really, right. and what you know, uh, now that I've watched this so many times, um, that's really the tell that it's Mickey for me because mm. Mickey's the one holding oh, yeah. the video cam throughout. He's the gearhead, and and he's the one. The he's movie. literally walking around for the first half of the movie, just like holding a video camera. So once. Yeah, uh, that screen um, pops up in in that scene between uh, Dewey and Gale. That for me, uh, now that I've watched it so many times, it's like, oh, of course it's Mickey because he's been the one carrying yeah. around the the camera the whole time. But well, so is Joel. <laughs> it's true. But I know. Oh, I know what you're saying. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, the the Gale's cameraman you're talking yes. about. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which is also a major plot point when like they say, oh, he 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 shot all this B roll. Let, let's go. That's that's what leads to that scene. Then when you realize it's Mickey, because his his amateur footage gives up the game. I do want to circle back to talking about the college drama professor because I think he has a line that uh, really just in, encapsulates the whole idea of Scream Two, and it's he says uh, at the expense of sounding like a college drama professor. <laughs> and, and then he goes on yep. to say, <laughs> yep. you know, uh, use your pain or whatever in in this scene. And yeah. <laughs> that's that's a really good kind of summation of Scream 2, is that we're going to have our cake and eat it too this entire movie. <laughs> it just really makes you smile when you see what this movie gets away with. It's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's effective at both, right? It's It yeah. gets the laugh at the line, you know, at the expense of sounding like a college professor. But then what he says, use your pain here. And then what follows is like a, an amazing set piece. You know, yeah. I, I have issues with Nev Campbell's performance because I don't think that she's a great actor. But um, the set piece <laughs> itself, like her on the stage, you know, with this Greek chorus and all these masks. And then all of a sudden, like ghost faces among all of these. You know, that scene is incredible. <laughs> but that's exactly what this movie is doing at all times. It's like laughing at itself, but then also like doubling down and executing on such a like high level yeah. that it's uh yeah. it works on on every level <laughs> it's so so true and i will say i think that they kind of repeat th- th- there's a different version of it in the climax of the movie where they're back in the same location all the tragic flaws are being unearthed and relived we're getting all the drama and the violence and we get the catharsis but we're doing it as the version that nev campbell is perfect for <laughs> like the horror yeah. scream queen version i just really love when she's like you know you're forgetting one thing about billy loomis like what i fucking killed him (laughs) so good yeah and there is you know um i i've become more and more bothered by violence in films as i've gotten older mostly just because i just hate how violent uh america is um as a culture and so it's hard for me to fully enjoy the you know, execution-style killing of Mrs. Loomis that happens um, at the very end. You know, she's, like, shot through the head by um To Sid, make sure. But, right. She did the same thing to Billy, I believe, in the in the first movie. Um, right? That's a good callback. Um, I, I, <laughs> I think so. But, uh, yeah, that, that's... Honestly, the, the climax of this movie is not my favorite set piece. And um, I actually have a list of some of my favorite set pieces from Scream 2. Would, would you mind if I... Um, I would like to hear them. Okay, obviously the stab opening night. Um, just in, yes. incredible, very tense, and uh, so much commentary there, too, again, just about how bloodthirsty the audience is to the point where they don't even recognize that there is a woman being killed right <laughs> in front of them. CC in the sorority house. Um, oh yeah. Oh, I love the camera work in that in that sequence because like it's just the camera's moving around her, but like Ghostface is in the background. Just kind of, it's there's like a dance between the camera and Ghostface, and it's just so 
Well done. This is another thing, too, that, you know, uh, Wes Craven is playing in in this uh, splasher movie uh, genre, but he's doing it with, like, a pretty big budget, and he's doing it, yeah. like, very efficiently and very cleanly, yeah. you know? Like, most yeah. of the, the slasher movies that kind of spawned this idea of a slasher came out in the 70s and 80s, and they're sloppy, like... Yeah, they're yeah. gritty. They're yeah. Like, yeah. Even the first scream is kind of gritty compared to this one. This one's so clean and crisp and... And sharp, yeah. Immaculate. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, so I, I also... that This was the scene that I just m- mentioned, but the Cassandra scene on, on the stage where the mm-hmm. um, ghost face ma- uh, masked person um, appears. I, I love that set piece. The uh, Randy Gale Dewey on the quad um, while Randy's on the phone. That's another just like so smoothly done, but it's actually like really difficult if you're thinking you have three characters in this huge wide open space and you you have like, you know, they're investigating all these other characters that are on phones. It's like a really complicated thing, but it's just so well executed. And uh, yeah, it ends um, surprisingly for me, at least with the with the killing of Randy there. And then the ghost face um, hunting uh, Dewey and Gale through the sound, um, through the sound rooms in the... In Hell the... yes. I love that location. So That's such good. a cool location. And the, ma- the just like the labyrinthine maze of the sound booths. Uh, the, um, you know, Dewey uh, pounding on the soundproof yes. uh, window trying oh, yeah. to warn her. Yeah. And then he... <laughs> Uh, gets attacked from behind just as Gale is uh, yeah. recognizes that there's a, that there's a window there, and then uh, you, you guys have already mentioned this, but the scene where Ghostface hijacks the the cop car with um, mm-hmm. Sid and Hallie in it—that's another scene that's just so tense. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they yeah. they double down on it whenever uh, you know they make <laughs> Sid they make Sid they just keep making it harder and harder for her you know and then she eventually gets out and then it's Hallie's turn and you think that like oh it's going to be easy they're just going to open the door but no <laughs> they're going to make <laughs> Hallie do the same thing again and it's just as tense it's excruciating yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Darren, do you know what you just described? You just described every major set piece from Scream 2. Yeah. This is a perfect movie. Like, every single except thing for, is except like... Except the end. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's what I'm saying. I feel like all of those scenes are much more tense, much more scary. Oh, yeah. Um, and much more satisfying than the, than the ultimate ending, which um, to me becomes uh, you know too much about... I mean, th- th- this is what happens in these type of movies, right? Though you you have like the villain explaining everything, and one of the things that this movie leans into, which I don't particularly care for, is uh, you know just the shoot 'em up sort of nature at the end. Like uh, mm-hmm. specifically, Gale and um, Sydney just like firing <laughs> a thousand bullets into Mickey after he like you know. Well, I feel like. I feel like Scream 1 kind of ended that way, too. It's like they are slasher movies until the end, like until, until the gun is involved at the very end. Like same with Billy and Stu. That was like, that was the case in the first Scream. I feel like that's when shit just gets real in the in the Scream movies. It's, it's like once the masks are off, it's like, OK, now I, I don't have to do all the theatrics about stabbing you. It's like I just want to kill you at this point. And so, yeah, just kind of like it, it, it takes his mask off and it becomes like more of a an action thing or I don't know. It's just, it's just, it works for me. 
That's a that's a really good point. I really like your um, kind of qualification of it's like once the masks are off, there there is no mm-hmm. more tension or horror. Even you know, it's just kind yeah. of the nuance. Yeah, the nuance kind of disappears, and you get to the base emotions that are at the core, which which they're literally telling these characters, <laughs> literally telling you what, <laughs> what they're feeling and what their motivations are. And I think for yeah. me also, I can hang on to like these delectable performances from Timothy Oliphant and especially Laurie Metcalf in that very last scene. It's amazing. I really love Timothy Oliphant in, in, in this. Um, he, he just like gets into the creepiness. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, he really don't, overdoes it. But don't like, you know history repeats itself, Sid? Yeah. He, he has some really good lines throughout this. 90s is no time to play hero, Sid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm going to blame the movies. Yeah, but once the masks are off, I do I do enjoy the uh, kind of over the top nature of these performances. And um, uh, Eric's right, even more so than uh, Timmy, Timothy Oliphant's uh, uh, Mickey is uh, Laurie Metcalf's uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Loomis eating that scenery up. Yes, and then one more final taste of the Dewey theme before the movie ends <laughs> wonderful I, I didn't really notice this but i was reading like in my reading of recaps online gail kind of like goes into the ambulance with dewey instead of like sticking around to right. report on the story mm-hmm. showing her arc not just following the story but you know following her heart and it's so endearing <laughs> another reason why their relationship is one of the better ones in in the movie <laughs> yeah yeah I know we talked about uh, Leif Shriver already, but he is so goddamn good in this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that yeah. scene in the library, too, is, yeah, it's the height of creepiness. Like, so much of, like, of the scenes that you're describing, Darren, are, like, perfect suspense. When I almost see this movie more as, you know, a, a, a masterpiece of suspense than horror in certain ways. Mm-hmm. That's the thriller angle, right? Yeah. Exactly, you, yeah. You, you mentioned this being uh, um, kind of promoted as a thriller, and it, it does deliver in that way. And the distinction is suspense is when the the viewer is aware of something, but the character is not, right? Yeah, I think that's a good, and so, yeah. So, so in, the, in, that, in that sense, we always, we're always seeing like Ghostface in the background, you know, stalking the, the character, uh, like in the CC scene or in the, the Gale scene in the sound booth. And I think that would apply to what you're saying. Yeah. It's like, or, or, or crawling over Ghostface's unconscious body. It's like, we know he, he could. Yep. <laughs> he could explode at any moment, but we're not sure when it's going to happen. <laughs> and you honk the horn of the, of the cars. You're yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> God so damn it. Good. So good. This is just something that popped in my head. It doesn't really have anything to do with what we just talked about. But uh, I'm glad that Ghostface got to do at least one pratfall in this movie. <laughs> that really sticks in my mind across like as, as a staple of scream and maybe it just happens more in the first film but like when ghostface takes that tumble in the um i believe it's the sorority house like tumbling over that chair oh. <laughs> it's like i have to smile it's like oh yeah that's good old ghostface he's just like us <laughs> and that is uh i i do feel like that happens more in the first one <laughs> than in this one because yeah. this one is trying to be much more lean and much cleaner you don't get the uh kind of flailing falling all over the pit all, all over the place ghost face there's still some of that as as you mentioned but it's de- definitely not as exaggerated it's more as professional it like scream 2 it's just more <laughs> professional and screamer and like i i think that's that's something i may like a little more about scream 1 that like here's this like really raggedy like it's kind of what happens when two idiot high schoolers would try to imitate slasher movie villains right Mm-hmm. And that just again ties into the screamness of it all. It's also kind of like shocking when, like, the first 
time you watch Scream, you're like you're used to the Michael indestructible Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees bad guy mm-hmm. from that very first scene. Like he's like slipping and and falling over trying to kill Drew Barrymore and and you know it just it even adds to the suspense in a way. It's just letting her get away like at the by the skin of her teeth even more times, and it's devastating then when he does catch up. But that's Scream one. We talked about that. <laughs> well, I know Cam wanted to talk about the soundtrack, so should should we transition to talking oh, about that? I, I love the soundtrack personally. I think it, you know, and not every song is my favorite. There's like 15 tracks on there, but I don't know. I, I just think it really captures the feel of 1997 so well, and in like a couple different like flavors of 1997, like R and B, hip hop, cock rock. <laughs> Uh, just like surfer rock. Like, I don't know. It's just John, whatever John boy, Spencer blues explosion is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is great. I, I like them by the way, but it's just funny that they're on this. Well, let me just go. I'll go through quickly. We got scream by master P, which big make them say, uh, energy. It's, it's the same thing. <laughs> it's like Adam's yeah. family. Whoop to make a comparison. Right. <laughs> franchise. <laughs> We talked about the Cottonmouth King song, which I think is like appropriately trashy and, and just dopey white rap for uh, Randy's death. Rivers by Sugar Ray, which is a Weezer tribute and a pretty damn good oh, one, okay. I thought. I thought they were pretty great at like aping Weezer style. I, I didn't even make that connection between the title and I, I'm just listening to it. I'm like, this sounds like Weezer. <laughs> yeah. I think Rivers Cuomo wrote it. Maybe um, the Wikipedia inf- info actually points to a, a much more interesting provenance, and that is written by Sugar Ray and Mick G. You know what? the director of oh. Charlie's Angels. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? According again, the dangerous words according to Wikipedia. <laughs> but yeah, um, I was one of my shocked. favorite. One of my favorite needle drops uh, in the movie, aside from the D'Angelo Prince cover at the beginning, because yes. I, I really do love that every time. I think it's a very, yeah, just sexy, sinister opening mm. um, to this yes. to yes. this movie. I also, uh, and this is just very personal, I love the uh, Everclear needle drop after CeCe's death. <laughs> That's a great song. <laughs> yes. Man, okay, this, so, this movie is so good at, like, cutting, like, breaking the tension like after a kill into like the most fun college track just to lighten the tension like yeah. it's it just balances tone so well it goes back it goes from like horror to fun seamlessly and that's that's a great that's like the, the example i think of actually yeah. when i when i think of that is like from the kill cc's kill to like the college party again to the sugar or the everclear song it kind of goes back to your point about film violence darren it's like yes this is both a commentary and and uh, exploitation of that it, it, we can yeah it's, it's not like we're watching hotel rwanda where a death would not be underscored <laughs> by you know some catchy rock track immediately after to, to make you realize like <laughs> oh that was fun we got through that he he we're watching a horror movie you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and maybe because like Sarah Michelle Geller became much more famous after this, but like her death feels like it deserves a little more space to grieve before the Everclear <laughs> punk track. I know. <laughs> that's one of their best songs, I would say too. It's good. I think that's a good. Pull. It's the '90s storytelling angst that I love, baby. We also have a Dave Matthews Band track, which college. Might not be everybody's <laughs> flavor, but I feel like it gets that frat party college yeah, vibe college. going. And I think he's a talented musician. Uh, I don't listen to him all the time. Yeah, I don't, I don't got hate for Dave. 
I respect. No uh, comment. <laughs> no comment, Darren. Comment. <laughs> the problem with some of these, so I'm looking at the soundtrack now. Um, I don't remember all of these songs in the movie. I know that that's... Um, that's some of them, yeah. Part of the soundtrack's like uh, allure is that these songs do actually appear in the movie um, at, right. in different places, but... I don't, I don't remember the Dave Matthews song. I don't I don't I don't even remember so the John was, Spencer was during, Blues Explosion song. Both were during frat party yeah. scenes. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> the John Spencer one, it, the John Spencer was used to good effect. It's the part where um, Derek is tied up to that cross in the theater, and like the all the frat yeah. guys are torturing him because he gave away his necklace, and right. <laughs> it's like so nerve wracking. And I think the lyrics are actually like very cleverly placed because yep. the idea is I was in the wrong place or I was okay, in the right place the at the wrong time. time. And that kind of defines Derek's character the whole time. It's like he is the guiltiest looking motherfucker in this whole movie, but it's not true. Like it's, it's all a red herring. And it's also, it's also saying like he's tied up to that cross at the right place, but the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Like that's where he dies, but it's not time yet. So I thought that was like a very clever use of music and, and lyrically yep. to, kind of foreshadow his death and like the, the the style too with like the chaos that's going on around him of this sweaty drunk yeah. <laughs> fraternity party in a, again in an auditorium yeah. uh <laughs> yeah in a theater <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> i want to go back to track six she said the collective soul song which is kind of like first the anthem of Derek and sid's kiss but then it also becomes like sydney's theme at the very very end when it goes into the credits and it's corny but I, Collective Soul is like a guilty pleasure of mine. <laughs> but I, I love it. I love the song. It's The guitars are so 1997. <laughs> but the lyrics actually point to like loss of innocence. Sydney embracing the limelight during those two parts where it's like he's making this di- this big public display, drawing all this attention towards Sydney, And she kind of like gives into it and has starts to have fun being the center of attention in that scene. And then at the end... She kind of like diff- like passes the fame off to Cotton, and then it, it kind of becomes like a, an empowerment anthem for her. Uh, and I thought that was kind of cool. This is a this is an interesting idea that you're bringing up about Sydney and her relationship to notoriety and fame, because I it has always felt really awkward to me that she's pursuing theater in college because it seems like her whole mo is to avoid the limelight. And furthermore, uh, her I really find her performance in that play uh, and and the part of Cassandra to be very bad um, and not good. So this I I, I don't know. I I hadn't really thought about uh, so so much in this in this movie, her relationship to to popularity and fame so much. So it's, it's just interesting. I think there's something to her being attracted like she was her boyfriend was the killer in the first movie. Right. So I feel like there there is some sort of like attraction to the killings for her in these movies. I think it shows up periodically, like after the car scene, like they can easily get away. But she's like, I just have to go back and see who it is. Like I, I have this like urge to go back and like do the wrong thing. I have to like put myself in danger's way time and time again because she's a horror protagonist. Like she has no... She can't help herself. Isn't there something like that too? Like at the party where she's like, I have to go back in and get my coat and like, yes. And she, and the phone rings and she, she answers the phone. She has to answer the phone and it's Ghostface. Like she has to do it because she's a horror protagonist. Like she's just compelled to do that. And I think that like, 
I would love to for them to explore that more where she's like a little she's drawn to it and she should own up to that. I like both of the points you guys are making. <laughs> I yeah, I don't know where I fall on this one. I guess what I'm saying is I think it's there in the in this movie, Darren, that she well, it's, it, that life. it's just always, and I, honestly, I don't remember what exactly she's up to in in the third one, but it it just always struck me as a little disingenuous in in this second one that she's pursuing theater. I mean, it's worth it because that set again that set piece where she's on stage and uh, you know with the uh, masked Greek chorus and um, Ghostface appears, I, I think is incredible. So it's it's worth it to me, but don't you think don't you think that someone whose real life is like turbulent and horrible and traumatic would want to escape into something not real? So why like not that makes sense to me? Why not be a film major instead of a theater major? Why decide to put yourself in uh, in, in the middle of uh, this frenzy instead mm-hmm. of putting yourself behind the camera? You know, in in control. I mean, I understand that point of view, but <laughs> am I, am but maybe, maybe because the killer's M.O.s in the first movie were based on movies. That's why she wanted to veer away from movies specifically, but she's still drawn to theatrics. I, th- I that's think a, that's an interesting point. Yeah, I think it's a fetish, honestly. Like, I think I think that like that's kind of part of the point of this whole series is like she's strangely drawn to it all it it does make me want to go back and uh yeah i haven't seen four since uh theaters and i haven't seen three in a long time so it, it does kind of make me want to go back and see see her arc um kind of play out and makes me all the more excited for number five yeah man oh we should talk about who's doing it the people who did ready or not which is a film i really liked it was humorous and i think that's essential to a screen installment are they writing it too? Yeah, the writers of Ready or Not, I think. Oh, okay. I'm just curious. So. I'm just curious what's going on with Kevin Williamson these days. He, I think I don't think he's a writer of he's a it. Producer. He's a, he, he is a producer, producer, I think. Yeah. yeah. I I just want to say that my favorite needle drop is Eels' Lucky Day in Hell. That's a great song. Yeah, that's probably like my second favorite song after the Prince cover. I love that song. Where does that happen? Right after the first sequence. Yeah. It's when the title drops, Eels. Into, into Sydney at college, and I think it's a great Sydney transition college, into yeah. the main the main story now. And the song itself yeah. is just like this low key gem that I really like. Totally. I get another flavor of the '90s. <laughs> it's like a low key spooky song. Yeah, it does feel Halloweeny, and I like it. But. Yeah, I know. I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, eels too. That's like a pretty cool. <laughs> weird 90s yes. cut yeah <laughs> they always somehow get on those uh 90s soundtracks there's always like one or two bands like wow <laughs> this is actually a really cool band speaking of songs that didn't catch in the in the movie itself there's a foo fighter song that i don't remember hearing yeah, me neither you know i was even like listening for it this time and i still couldn't yeah still couldn't catch it and then there's the tonic song which is in the credits which i kind of like again like 90s rock cheese guilty pleasure but i can't i can't man i i i grew i grew up with all with all of that, surrounded by that. i can't i can't take it anymore if you could only see the way that darren is making faces <laughs> we have the the return of red right hand which is unofficial scream theme mm-hmm. i feel like the soundtrack should end there there's two more tracks after that but i feel like that's where it should end it almost feels like a, an SNL episode where it's like you can kind of skip the last few skits. <laughs> Not the five to one or the ten to one or whatever they call it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I agree that the last two tracks are very out of place. Well, the yeah. the one more chance R&B slow jam for sure. Yeah, just like generic 
forgettable '90s R&B. But um, the, the last one's weird. Though. It is. I don't. I don't... You know, <laughs> note note the writer. Yeah, David Arquette. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah he's involved in this whatever year 2000 okay. is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, apparently, from from what I read, uh, the race doesn't actually appear in the movie. Is it? Is it in the credits only, or is it even in the credits? It's not in the credits. No. It's it's, it's not, not it, yeah it's not so it only appeared on the soundtrack and it definitely just I seems like so. a favor to David Arquette because it's like his <laughs> band. <laughs> all right, that wraps up my soundtrack discussion. Sweet, that's all I wanted to talk about. Thank you for indulging, Darren. Make the call. What soundtrack is better, Scream Two or Godzilla? Godzilla, easily. Come on, easily. Cam, are, are, are you really Cam? Cam, <laughs> I'm come gonna... on, Cam. I'm going to die on the screen two hill any day of the I love week. It. I love wow. it. You'll get squashed <laughs> by a giant radioactive lizard. Listeners, come get, to my defense. You'll get squashed by a giant P. Diddy. Yeah. <laughs> come with us, Cam. See, yeah, the the problem here is that, um, yes, D'Angelo, better than P. Diddy. Yes, Prince, better than P. Diddy. Um, <laughs> Foo Fighters appear on both soundtracks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, Cam, you're you're dead wrong in, in this race. <laughs> um, it's definitely Godzilla over over this mess. I mean, aside from Jumiroquai and Rage, Rage Against, Against the, Machine the Machine and Green Day and... <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's unfair. Well, let's... Wait, the Wallflowers. Yeah. Notice I'm not going to yeah. extend this this uh, comparison to the movies themselves. I'm not I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> mm. Yeah, Scr- Scream 2, a better movie than Godzilla. Let's, <laughs> oh, let's, let's no. just make that clear. Let's, let's make it clear. <laughs> yes. Here's my hot take. Mm. Scream 2 is the best film of 1997. Whoa. I I don't even know. I got to look up a best of 97. Titanic, ever heard of it? Scream 2 is better than Titanic. I no. I, I think Dude, Titanic. W- would you actually put Titanic over Scream 2? I would not. Yeah, I would. Oh, man. I, I, I don't think Titanic... I mean, it's a it's a good movie. I I don't think it's a great movie. I found a new appreciation for it with our episode earlier this year. And it would be up there. It'd be top, probably top three of 1997. But Scream Two is my jam. Like that is the movie, yeah. the movie of 1997. I get it. And I think I've I've never liked <laughs> Scream Two more than this this time, and especially after talking it talking it through with you guys now. But I don't think I'm willing to say it's the best of 1997. And Titanic is just the I, first thought on top of my head. I feel like there might be a Starship Troopers. I think is better, and I like it more. The game. <laughs> oh, it's over. Men, men, men in Black. Oh, Men in Black. There, yeah, ninety seven is a tough year. I still year. like Scream Two more. Yeah. I still like Scream. But there's two three more. already for me. <laughs> I think I, I read it in Scream, but it's just a it's a boogie nights, y'all. Oh, fuck, boogie boy. nights. Stop doing this to me, man. I'm, I don't want to <laughs> make him <off>. sad. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm still Team Scream. I like it. My last, uh, my last entry into 1997, Jackie Brown. Mm, yes that's the most difficult contender but i'm still team scream team scream 2 all the way yeah of of all of those uh scream 2 is um definitely my favorite over boogie nights ah fuck Um, and it's it's interesting comparison because i think in a way these two are like you know you can look at them they're like perfectly constructed films both of them Mm -hmm. but wildly different in many other aspects oh shit there's there's a lot more here than than i'm realizing con air (laughs) 
<laughs> you're just looking um, at our old episodes is what you're doing fifth, fifth element <laughs> batman and robin <laughs> anaconda oh oh man uh here's a here's a fucked up uh uh iranian entry taste of cherry mm. any taste of cherry Ooh. obvious kurosami fans i've seen that man that's the one that's where he's driving around in the car yep that shit that shit fucks me up oh shit the original funny games can't came out in 97 Goodwill Hunting was that ninety seven? It sure Princess was. Princess Mononoke. Scream two. Still. <laughs> it's just wow. <laughs> it's amazing that we haven't we haven't done this one sooner on the podcast. You can't convince me. We are throwing out <laughs> a lot of real classic, real good movies. It's crazy. It's but I love it. It's really hard to yeah uh, for me to pick like a best of a year because I just know that there's so much that I'm missing from in any given year. Gummo. L.A. Confidential. <laughs> Gummo and L.A. Confidential are the greatest double feature of all time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. Uh, apparently, uh, the Neon uh, Genesis uh, Evangelion movie came out in 97, too. This is turning into, like, a reopening the wormhole-style podcast yeah. now. We have like, <laughs> this huge, like, sequel discussion, and now we're talking about 1997 movies. Flubber. Heard of it? What a bang. <laughs> Good burger. Um, <laughs> Spawn. Steel. I mean. As good as it gets. The, I'm, I'm telling you, just the ones, I'm just naming off episodes. We we live in 1997. <laughs> 1997, peak 90s. It's like the most 90s year that was ever in the 90s. Oh, man. Uh, here's, here's one that I watched in college that I'm really fond of. Uh, the Ice Storm. Anybody remember The Ice oh, Storm? I, I, I have not me seen it. either. But that's an Ang Lee movie, right? Yeah, um, definitely worth checking out, especially if you're going in with, like, the 97 blinders. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. As I always am. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, uh, this was this was one of the first Ang Lee movies that I saw, and th- this was after Brokeback Mountain that, that I saw The Ice Storm, but I was like, damn, he's really good at directing traumas. Yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter what language he's working in, he's just, like, really good with human relationships Mm -hmm. and uh yeah the ice storm fits very neatly into that category waiting for guffman came out in 97 i'm a big fan of ang lee and just that's what makes it so much more painful that he's become like a technology dad now just like but look at this look at this like please stop dad put that away isn't it amazing what you can do now (laughs) make movies about people again please hashtag dad show up Just like Coppola, just like Zemeckis, is like, stop it. Do the good things that I like. You know, this medium does other things besides technology, right? You right. know, you know, it tells stories about about human beings. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, do we want to talk about pitches for a Scream Two? All right, guys, here's my pitch. This is the end meets Scream. The cold open, uh, it's at a Zoom reunion for the Scream franchise featuring actors from all the previous films. They're taking questions from the fans. We're having a good time until one of these fan questions like, is like real creepy and threatening. Suddenly, Jerry O'Connell's video feed goes dark, but his mic is still on. And you hear the sounds of struggle and like stabbing and squelching and slashing. And when the video returns, Jerry O'Connell is dead, murdered. 
A year later, a group of famous actors reunites at a horror convention to promote Scream's re-reboot, and uh, they start receiving similar threatening messages that also like pointing at the project, criticizing it for crass commercialism and using all the same old faces again. So suspicion immediately falls on some of the younger cast of this movie, and it ramps up when Courtney Cox and David Arquette are both found dead, and both had complained about the new script on Twitter, noting that like because of pressure from the internet and such, like it, it turned a lot of the legacy characters into head cases or opportunists, like not as interesting as they were. So everyone is scapegoating the re-reboots newcomers, in particular these two characters who, let's say, will be Lucas Hedges and Millie Bobby Brown. And the body count just keeps growing higher. Nev Campbell and the film's executive producer, Drew Barrymore, are close to proving that the two youngsters are behind all these slayings. And their big idea at the climax is to use their movie movies like high-profile panel as bait to draw the killer out. This killer wants attention. They won't resist this opportunity to come get us. Like, we're not afraid. You go, girl. So in a, in a twist, we find out the killer who comes out, you know, as expected, is jamie kennedy <laughs> nev and drew dispatch him before he can hurt anyone else either with his knife or his comedy <laughs> meanwhile throughout all of this uh chloe grace moretz is also here she's in the new cast as kind of the geeky audience surrogate in this new version you know she remarks that well it's still old people hogging the spotlight with the killer's jamie kennedy and as the paramedics carry his body away she notices like an earpiece falling from his hood and she like picks it up and like tries to listen and hears like a woman's voice and then the earpiece is like snatched away like evidence gotta take that and the final scene is the rescheduled panel and it's just nev and drew discussing how they're going to retool the movie now because they've proven like they're still badass Uh, And people love them again. And they want to return the legacy characters to glory. And all the fawning fans and journalists are praising these strong characters as Chloe Grace Moretz just glowers on the side of the stage. And the last shot we're panning from Nev and Drew's smiling faces down under the table. And we see like an antenna attached to some like wireless communications equipment sticking out of a, a bag at the at their feet as thunderous applause morphs into the piercing sound of audio feedback. The end. Beautiful. Thank you. And my working title for this is Scream 5, The Final Bow. Can't compete with that. What are you, what are you talking about? Shut it. <laughs> Hollywood, shut it down. You out-meted Scream. <laughs> that was my goal. <laughs> I I don't have anything nearly as thought out, so let me just stumble my way through this, um, because I know that Cam actually has a (laughs) wind-up. So the next generation of Scream is a online video game like Among Us. (laughs) Do you guys know about Among Us? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Very popular with the with the young kids right now. It's like an imposter game, like you're trapped on a spaceship together and um, there's a certain number of crew members and there's one or two imposters who are trying to kill people off. Actually translates really well to the to the scream dynamic of <laughs> there being there being a, a killer amongst like a, a group of um, well meaning people. So it's an online game like Among Us where you log on randomly and you're put in a house with uh, a bunch of teenage or high school age kids, but one of them or two of them are the hidden ghost faces who are killing everybody off. So this is the future of entertainment. 
uh, shitty online games where you like log on and play for ten minutes. And uh, yeah, why not? Let's let's make it the next step for Scream. <laughs> it seems like right. such a natural progression. <laughs> I see it. It's kind of strange. Well, maybe not strange, but like I would have thought that there would be some sort of Scream tie-in in the video game space over all these years. Even like just an alternate reality game that unfolds online. So I like this idea of making Scream into a video game. I'm going to start from here on out. All of my uh, future pitches for uh, what we'll be watching are just going to be just turn it into an online video game. That's, <laughs> that's what everything else is nowadays <laughs> that's all the kids care about they're not watching movies anymore no. so. <laughs> turn it into a youtube series a youtube influencer it's just like here's Ghostface's uh skin regimen <laughs> that that boyfriend character is sus yeah <laughs> he gets it. isn't that <laughs> he gets it yeah yep you type that in in among us you have these like uh like uh discussion sessions before you choose to like eject someone into space so yeah, during the discussion sessions, you'll be like, "Billy's Billy's cousin, Billy's identical twin is seeming really sus." <laughs> I like it. I like where you both have gone. I went more for a direct sequel. Let's get to the entree. Yes. To the Scream movies that we've had. So, spoiler warning, if listeners have not seen Scream 3 or 4, I implore you to not listen to my pitch because the fun of the Scream movies is really to like watch the whodunit unfold. Right. And if I would feel so shitty if I spoiled the movies for you. That's right, so, Matt Palmer. Scream please, four. Sam Stovold, I know you haven't seen all the Screams. Don't listen to this pitch unless you've seen through Scream 4. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's official now. All right, so in my direct sequel to Scream 4... The Scream Trio are all estranged and in new situations, as if their lives from past films have been rebooted. Sydney now lives a quiet, idyllic life alone in the Italian countryside. Dewey and Gail have amicably divorced. Gail reinvented herself as a political journalist battling fake news in Washington, D.C., while Dewey got remarried to Deputy Judy Hicks from Scream 4 and patrols a Woodsboro that has not seen violence in over 10 years. Also surviving is Kirby from Scream 4, Hayden Panettiere, the film nerd who technically never died on screen, so it's possible she could come back. Kirby left horror behind uh, to make a name for herself directing harmless romantic comedies in Hollywood, and she can reluctantly provide the knowledge of horror tropes as the heroes try to determine what kind of reboot the killer is going for this time. So the Stab films stopped after the, the last Woodsboro killings of 2010, the franchise having long jumped the shark after the fourth film, devolving into sci-fi and supernatural tropes, and introducing fictional relatives to the real-life Woodsboro survivors. Meanwhile, in real life, we're introduced to Dewey and Gale's college-aged son. <laughs> Let's call him Dewey Jr. <laughs> yes. For simplicity's sake, who was conveniently never discussed in the previous films because his parents had a habit of sending him away to his aunt's house during Halloween season every year as a safety precaution. Hence why we never saw him in Scream 4. He just never came up. That's right, I'm pulling on Nikki and Paolo, or Don Summers if you prefer. Insert Patricia Arquette as the aunt, Dewey's sister, that was also never mentioned <laughs> in any previous film. So one day, online rumors circulate about an underground stab-related project with a cryptic title of a single ghost face emoji. 
Mysterious viral marketing features videos of a gang of five ghost faces whose leader addresses the camera. Think anonymous, but ghost face instead of vendetta. So he claims to be an actual spirit from hell doomed to haunt Woodsboro forever. Uh, talking about a Woodsboro curse. And it seems mostly harmless until one video the gang kidnaps and murders an unfortunate victim and then threatens to kill again unless Sidney Prescott returns to Woodsboro. Sydney reaches out to Dewey to debate whether or not to come back until an impatient Ghostface releases another video killing a semi-famous actress from Stab 6. Both Sydney and Gail Weathers return to Woodsboro to end it once and for all, tired of all the real-life sequels, threequels, remakes, and reboots of these murders. The killers broadcast a live video in real time for the third murder, challenging Sydney to find their next victim, who turns out to be another Hollywood type involved in Stab 5. Like the cinematographer or the grip, doesn't matter. New information comes to light that the first victim was actually a production assistant on Stab 7, whose connection was overlooked because he left the film industry shortly after. They realize that the killers are counting down, counting backwards through the Stab franchise, killing one person connected to each movie. Given the hundreds of people involved in the productions, anticipating the killer's next move seems impossible. But they send the word out for the police to keep tabs on the hundreds of names on every call sheet from past films. Meanwhile, paranoia strikes as the heroes wonder who in their circle might have ties to this online ghostface movement. Suspects can include a sketchy cybersecurity agent sent in to help the police track the killer's elusive online presence, one of the famous stab actresses and her makeup artist husband, or various edgy and suspicious friends of Dewey Jr., and so on. So through detective work, they deduce the killer's next victim from stab four, but arrive just moments too late to save them. Sydney manages to chase down and even overcome Ghostface, unmasking her to reveal Sydney's dead niece and one of the killers from Scream 4, played by Emma Roberts, as if she never died at all. Sydney thinks she's going crazy. Before the girl can provide any explanation, they are rushed by two more Ghostfaces who abduct the girl and whisk her away, leaving Sydney unharmed. She follows after them, only to find the girl stabbed to death and her face and fingerprints gruesomely removed. Sydney swears it was her niece, until later DNA test results return the girl's identity, an unfamiliar young actress with no apparent ties to, to Stab or Woodsboro. The heroes are puzzled. So after a new video threat, Sydney realizes the next victims could be people close to her, since the first three Stab movies followed the real-life killings instead of original stories. She then receives a phone call from someone imitating the voice of another dead killer, this time her long-lost brother Roman from Scream 3, taunting her that he's back and challenging her to figure out who the next victim is. It turns out to be Patrick Dempsey's cop character from Scream 3, with whom we learn Sydney had a brief romance in the past. After that, Sydney worries that Dewey or Gale is next. The trio is indeed attacked, and then each separated into three different locations by a different ghost face. In a shocking twist, cross-cutting between the three, each ghost face unmasks himself to be the apparent older versions of past dead killers. Gale is confronted by Mrs. Loomis, Dewey faces Stu Mocker, while Sydney comes face to face with Billy Loomis, as if they've all been alive all these years. They explain that it's not that they're, they're actually back from the dead, it's that the heroes are actually stuck in hell, damned to relive the Woodsboro murders for all of eternity. Given all the impossible to explain things that have been going on, it seems to be all but true until Sydney sees some kink in their story and calls bullshit. The heroes put it together that the killers are all paid actors with ties to the Ghostface gang. Gail realizes that Mrs. Loomis is the aforementioned actress whose makeup artist husband, disguised as Stu, helped change all their appearances to look like past killers to mess with Sydney's head. 
Sydney pieces together that someone else must be the, the true mastermind uh, who steps out from the shadows to reveal herself. It's Kirby, the director from Scream 4. That's right. In an unprecedented move, the killer is actually an, a surviving character from a previous film. After having an attraction to Rory Culkin's killer, Charlie, in Scream 4, Kirby unlocked a hidden fetish for murderous psychopaths, and she used her Hollywood connections to orchestrate this whole charade. Her endgame was to bring the trio back and kill them all, along with herself, to finally end the cycle of murder, the curse of Woodsboro, once and for all. The actors get cold feet, though, uh, having thought they were getting paid for some kind of elaborate interactive scare experience not to actually kill Sidney Prescott for real, after which Kirby shoots them all dead, all except for Billy Loomis. And we learn that Dewey Jr. faked his death earlier to become Billy Loomis, Kirby's number one killer crush, so that the two of them could go out in a blaze of glory together. Kirby groomed Dewey Jr. to resent his parents for excluding him from the Woodsboro legacy and go along with her plot. But Dewey Jr. backs out at the very last minute, sacrificing himself to save his parents, and in the end, Sidney kills Kirby, and the trio consoles each other over the disturbing and confusing loss of Dewey Jr. Sydney is left to wonder whether there's something to the idea of the Woodsboro curse. The end. And the title is just Scream 5 or 6 if the upcoming one doesn't go this direction. <laughs> <laughs> totally in favor of just like continuing the, the, to chalk up the generic numerical titles of Scream sequels um, to hammer home the point of like endless numerical sequels. But if it did have an unofficial alternate title it would be son of scream (laughs) (laughs) i'm speechless i love every bit of that um you really for for parts of that you really were turning it into an alternate reality game so the funny thing about scream 4 is that they they talk about the, the stab sequels and how the fifth stab was the one that like jumped the shark and was like the worst one because it went back in time. They just did time travel. (laughs) So I was like, what if I did like a sort of time travel to sort of call back to stab five? Nice. I like (laughs) it. How far away are we from scream in space? (laughs) This is where they all go, right? Is is fast and furious going to make it to space? I, I just found out that like they have scheduled a last one. Now the 12th one is supposed to be the end. I heard they threatened the space. Yes. Soon. That seems like a no. Is it going to happen? I'm sure it will happen. I think it is. <laughs> yeah, that is where they all end up. Um, I hope Scream doesn't. <laughs> That's what Alien is. It's true. It doesn't need to. I feel like they're like they should just stick to different incarnations of a of a horror movie trope. Like the fourth one is well, remakes. Yeah, but I think it's... reboots are are on the table. I think found footage is on the table. They could like. There's like a couple different directions they could go. I don't think they need to go to space yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yet. A very promising word indeed. (laughs) In space, no one can hear you scream. Yes. (laughs) It's right there. It's already written. It's all (laughs) just there for the taking. (laughs) Um, All right, guys. uh, I can't believe we haven't talked about Luke Wilson in this movie. (laughs) <laughs> yeah talking about casts and, and and stab franchises yeah how yeah how, how did we skip luke wilson one of my favorite like uh movie within a movie uh <laughs> movies this, this it is so good yeah stab movie it's a great clue too because the whole argument that sydney played by tori spelling and billy played by luke wilson in that scene are is that like your mom's dead like, or your mom's still alive. My mom's dead, though. And it, it it's a clue that mm-hmm. Billy Loomis's mom is still alive and around. Mm-hmm. It's just so subtle and under the radar. And it, the punctuated end of that scene is Luke Wilson going, 
stupid. Oh, oh stupid. Oh. oh, God. And his, like, the length of his hair, the way that it, like, yeah. you know, kind of bounces whenever he hits his head. Oh, stupid. It's so um, hilarious. Like, Owen Wilson levels hilarious. Like, I've Whoa. always thought Owen was funnier than Luke, but that's, like, a, that's a moment where Luke, I think surpasses owen mm-hmm. anyway uh also heather graham have, have we even mentioned <laughs> yes. heather graham yet yeah <laughs> that's pretty funny too heather graham standing in for drew yeah. anymore she does a great job mm-hmm. <laughs> all the performances in this are pretty solid not, we shouldn't forget that dewey was apparently played by david schwimmer in that version too <laughs> unseen but comment yeah, there's on. a couple like friends friends references right. there's a jennifer yeah. aniston Reference mm-hmm. to the Gills that... pictures. It was Jennifer Aniston's yeah, right. body. <laughs> right. It's my head, but on Jennifer Aniston's body. Yeah. I cut you off, Darren. I'm sorry. No, I'm I'm ready to uh, close out. Uh, if you guys are, I've I, I know what we were watching. All right, I well, know now. We'll get to that momentarily, but before we do, we just want to make sure that Hollywood knows those are ideas. If you use them, please get us an interview with Diane Sawyer. That's all we ask. That's really important to us. <laughs> All right, guys, let's get to it. Let's ask ourselves that question that we ask in almost every episode uh, for Scream 2. What were we watching? What were we watching? All right, and uh, just because I have it ready, I was watching Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson having their cake and eating it too yes Mm -hmm. i was watching a sequel that doesn't suck (laughs) and i'd like to point to the metaphor that you used darren earlier on because it's so perfect it's the ouroboros of scream it's like (laughs) the the first two films especially because it's all just all intertwined and like the way that like at first this movie almost feels like a coda to the first one because we're still talking about woodsboro we're still bringing in these relatives of people who were important in the first film but it is its own thing. It just works perfectly in concert with that first movie. And Ryan Murphy fucking wishes. Can I just say? <laughs> oh, I fucking love that. Yeah. <laughs> is he the one who did the show, or like? Uh, uh, well, he no. did Scream Queens. Oh, okay. He, and I think I just think like, a lot of his and, stuff and, and many many other things. Yeah, yeah. Like Scream, but Scream Queens is kind of like the most direct thing of like I'm going to do my meta horror thing. While he does all his other meta things that aren't as good as the meta things that Scream does. <laughs> I was watching a couple things. One, a cinematic essay arguing for the sometimes superior storytelling power of sequels. Two, the most entertaining whodunit ever made. Three, the best encapsulation of the year 1997 in a movie, <laughs> period. And four, the movie that Scream 1 wanted to be. I feel like it fulfills the promise of the premise of Scream 1, and it could only do that once Ghostface became a brand and a movie himself. And I think that's where this movie, that's where this franchise finds its magic. Mm-hmm. Like, you guys, I can't stress the importance of Scream 2 enough. <laughs> I love it. Um, and uh, related to that, too, I think it is pretty incredible that uh, this was actually released within a year of the first yes. one coming out. Which is like that sort of turnaround is insane, and there and I was yeah. reading there was a lot of like rewriting being done on a daily basis. Yeah, did you guys hear about the the script being leaked uh, early? Yes, yeah. yes. And how Kevin Williamson has also said that that 
leaked script was a dummy script uh, <laughs> that they um, had intended to get leaked so that they could protect the real story. Okay. Yeah, there's a there's a, a lot of yeah story behind the story here. Uh, you guys have opened my eyes wide. Thank you very much. <laughs> I I always have I was I was fond of this movie, but over the years, yeah, Scream Scream is wonderful. Scream is a great thing. Now I have to revisit three, and I'm uh, afraid to because I remember not liking it as much last time. But. It's still fun. It's still good. I feel like it's still fun. I will say, having watched all four. I love all Scream movies, every single one. <laughs> That's definitely how I feel. I just haven't revisited three and four in a while. It's it, it is missing. Like I feel like it is meta, but it's not. It doesn't quite like lean into the meta ness the way that one, two, and four do. So I feel like it's just slightly less good, but it's still super fun because you're still with all the same lovable characters. And I I do want to watch it for the weird uh, like Randy cameo, which is in the form of yeah. like a pre recorded VHS tape. Yeah. And it's fun that it's, like, in Hollywood, and it's, like, about Stab 3. Like, they're now right. into the third scra- Stab movie, and there's, like, all this history. And, and Jay and Silent Bob are there, fun. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, for the record, my ranking, it's an easy 2 over 1, and then 4, 3. I'd agree with that. I still might put 1 over 2, but I just have... A Jonesen for those original. Give me the plain flavor, please. <laughs> <laughs> and yet you argued for uh, Mad Max uh, Road Warrior. Yeah, well, if you notice, that was the only <laughs> that was the only one <laughs> that I like really came up with off the top of my head for the Road Warrior. It just is a superior film. But guys, this was an awesome episode. Always great to talk to you, Darren. Ah, it's like our old college days are back again. Reliving the the good old days, as we do. As about movies. So is there anything that you would like to plug? Um, Sure, yeah. I got new music up on my website, urbansprawls.net. I even uh, did a live stream of my new album, Speechless, which is a bunch of instrumental music um, that's very noisy and abrasive and uncomfortable to listen to. So. I will say that it it sounds like a great score to a thriller, much like Scream. Yeah, 2. does it does it sync up with Scream Two in any special? Oh god damn it! Uh, I'm gonna check if it uh, syncs up to Scream Three, and then I'll then I'll let you know. <laughs> um, but I I also uh, live streamed it with some video too, so and, and you can see that all on on the website urbansprawls.net. Ooh, dot net fancy. <laughs> Always want things to seem a little trashy. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the mo of one Darren Sprawls. That's why we love him, folks. A ten timer at last. Thank you, Darren. How many? Wait, wait, wait. I, I now that you guys brought this up, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like I deserve some sort of at SNL. They get like jackets, you know. Yeah. Uh, after <laughs> don't it's it's in the mail. Visits. It's in the mail. Don't worry. <laughs> Who else? Who else are in the uh, in the in the is in the ten timer club? So Brian is the most guested. He's like sixteen Brian, or seventeen. Brian strapped on his rocket and was there within like two <laughs> years. Speaking of rocket, Eric Wheeler, who reached ten with the Rocketeer this year, uh, and then Sam Stovold, I think, is the only other wow ten timer. That's a cool club to be in, guys. Yeah, welcome. Should have been earlier. You are our songsmith. For this podcast you're with listeners every single episode 
and I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, it was fun, and uh, thank you for having me. And I do really love, uh, maybe we could do a big uh, round table, um, since we're going to be stuck inside for the foreseeable future, um, based on current projections. But yeah, I just love all those guys that you mentioned, and I would love to hang out with them. The Ten Timers Club special, where we all bring a different movie from 1997 and debate which is the best. <laughs> please choose Anaconda. a different year, but but yes, the, the the concept in general works. But please, just any other year. <laughs> what year would you prefer? Ninety nine. Ninety nine would be good. Dibs on Phantom Menace. I know you and you and Wheeler. <laughs> not, no, not really. That's the thing. No, I would want Wheeler for that. I wouldn't take that from him. Uh, 99 is also uh, Magnolia, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Being John Malkovich. Uh, The Matrix, probably. Yeah. But anyway, before we get off on another (laughs) tangent, uh, thank you, Darren. Uh, For us, you can find us online uh, or website, whatwerewewatching.com. We also have a Bandcamp page. This is where you can find all our older episodes. And subscribe to us on your podcatchers. Rate and review if you feel like it. Um, I always like list, uh, reading the reviews and guessing which pseudonym belongs to which listener slash guests of this podcast. And uh, on social media, what were we watching? Look for us, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Please drop us a line. You want to talk about sequels that are better than the original? You want to talk about Scream 2? You want to talk about movies from 1997? All of that. We want to hear it. Please. What were we watching <laughs> at gmail.com? Send us an email and we will read it on the air. And with that, it's time to close this chapter. But, you know, things things are never really put to rest in horror movies, as, as we found out. So <laughs> we, were, we will certainly see you again, Darren. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. They always come back for one last mm-hmm. cast. <laughs> <laughs> Urban Sprawls will return in... <laughs> the Big Green. <laughs> <laughs> We'll find a um, way. Thanks, guys. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Yep. Yeah. So for Cam Seamer and Darren Sprawls, I'm Eric Ambler. Thanks for listening to What Were We Watching? And until next time... Dewey, I never meant to imply... That. How do you know that my dim-witted inexperience isn't merely a subtle form of manipulation used to lower people's expectations, thereby enhancing my ability to effectively maneuver within any given situation? I don't know what else to say.